Shabbat Shalom. So um, I'm in part three of my sermon series on marriage and the family. And believe you me, this is certainly controversial nowadays. Just working down through the biblical text and realizing how far our culture is moved away from it. And now I feel like whatever I say is going to be a tremendous offense to most people listening to this outside of our community. Right? You guys are with me. So uh, this is, this is um, pretty counterculture, uh, but I'm excited about it. I think you'll be excited about it as well. We finished up with men last week. We're going to pick up uh, females and wives in particular this week. So uh, it, it's so funny. You know, I, I think I taught on this maybe three or four years ago, and a lot of the feedback was, man, you were really hard on the men. You gave all the women free passes, you know. We're going to remember that. So when I went to do this series, I had some people tell me, hey, you better do a better job with the women this time. So here we go. Danged if I do, danged if I don't, right? Hallelujah. That's what I'm called to, though. So, And for those that are single, uh, understand this message probably will not resonate with you if you're called to, to, a, uh, to being single. Um, so there are a number of us that are called to, to be single in life. And that's a high calling too. It's just a different calling. And so I'm not going to address that today. I, I don't want you to feel left out. Uh, there'll be a time in the future in which we address that call of being single in order to advance the kingdom of Christ. It's a beautiful call as well. And so I don't mean to leave you out. I hope you don't feel left out in that sense. Uh, but we've all been part of a family. We were born into a family, so we should be able to track with that. And again, this is ideal. I'm giving you the ideal. No one's reached the ideal. Okay, so it doesn't matter where you're at in your life, in your journey in this regard. Just wherever you're at, pick it up and begin to move forward with the design of God. Okay, so uh, marriage, marriage and family, part three. As we've stated, God created human beings in his image, and they are binary, male and female. They are fully equal in worth and dignity, status, but uniquely different physically and psychologically and psychologically and psychologically. For the husbands out there, you know what I'm talking about, right? They don't think like we think. All right, they're different, and that's okay. Beautifully, equally, but different. Equally different. I'm not sure if I can say that, but anyway, I did. In addition, husbands and wives have equal but different roles and responsibilities in the marriage. Like I said, today's teaching is going to focus on women as wives. Here's my Ten Commandments. I want to recap from last week and jump into this week. These are my Ten Commandments for a successful marriage. Men, number one, receive Jesus into your hearts as your King and your Savior. Receive him. Be a man's man. Bow your knee to Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, and let him shape you and mold you and raise you up, right? Put his kingdom, number two, put his kingdom and Torah first in your life. Make that the focus and emphasis. His kingdom, his glory, his Torah. Number three, find your identity and calling in him. You're unique as a, as a man. Find out who you are in him what your gifts are, what you're called to do. 
Number four, get an education. Get an education. A lot of different ways to do that. Number five, get a job. Number six, get a cash flow so that you can buy or rent a house. Now, you can ask God to help you find a godly woman to be your wife. Get the blessings to marry her from her parents and your parents. Don't forget to gain that blessing. It's so important to have that blessing in your marriage. So gain the blessing of her parents, your parents, and your spiritual leaders. Number nine, love her. Provide for her. Protect her. Lay your life down for her. And then finally, number 10, commit and submit to a local Bible-believing church to help you safeguard your marriage and your family. These principles will serve you well in strengthening and blessing your marriage and family. Women, the feminine aspect of God. Genesis 1. Let's begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in Genesis, this first verse, right? Actually, the first two verses, God creates. In fact, the term for God here is Elohim. The Hebrew term is Elohim. It's masculine, by the way. The gender assignment to this word is masculine. So we have this masculine part of God because God is both masculine and feminine. In his masculinity, God creates. And then it goes on to say, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The word spirit, ruach, in the Hebrew is feminine, feminine. And what does the feminine spirit of God do? Vibrates the water. Like a bird, it hovers over the water and it vibrates. So we have this picture in the very beginning in God's self-disclosure of himself. He hints to us that he is both masculine and feminine. He's a creator-activator. This is amazing in every way when you think about it. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Masculine creator, feminine activator. This is who God is. Let's jump down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So a lot of ink has been spilled over this text. What does it mean? God said, let us make man in our image. Who's he referring to? The divine council? Us? The angels? The majestic plural, just as a figure of speech because of his greatness? It's interesting when you think about it. Jumping back up to verses 1 and 2, what do we have? We have Elohim and the Spirit co-creating. Perhaps God, as manifest in father and mother, 
in male and female is having a conversation. Maybe God is speaking to the spirits and saying, let's collaborate and create. Now follow me here. This is very important. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The word image in Hebrew is salem. The gender assignment, masculine. Let's make man in our image, salem, masculine, and in our likeness, demut is the Hebrew word, and it is feminine. Amazing, huh? Let's make man in our masculine and feminine image. This, this just reveals so much for us. In fact, because we are highly patriarchal in our Western civilization due to a Judeo-Christian ethic, right, that was, was based on a number of factors, a lot of this is just lost in translation. The Hebrew doesn't assign uh, the, the, the pronouns here, but you find it in terms of uh, the gender assignment to the words themselves. And so in this passage... We see the masculinity of God and the femininity of God together creating us in their image. In essence, what he's saying is, let us create in our likeness, masculine and femininity in this natural realm. Every human being has the sacred status of the image of God. And we come in two versions male and female and both the male and the female equally represent god in his image fully equally in status worth and dignity male and female that tells us that there is an aspect of the triune nature of god that is feminine if we were to talk about the triune nature of God in terms of not essence, but in terms of person, you have Father, Son, and then you have Holy Spirit. Well, who do you think the Holy Spirit is? Now, the Greek doesn't help us. The Greek is neuter when it comes to the word spirit. The noun spirit in Greek is neuter. That's why in your translations, some of your translations will say it when it refers to the spirit. It doesn't assign a personal pronoun because the word spirit in Greek is neuter. But if you were to follow the Hebrew text, it implies that the spirit is what? Female, feminine. The pronoun would be she. Are you catching this? The divine father and the divine mother create us in their image, both male and female, because both father and mother exists fully as God. This is a great mystery. When we get into the triune nature of God, it's a, it's a tremendous mystery. The whole idea that God has a triune nature is tied up in the Zohar, some ancient Jewish mystic texts, which draw this from these particular passages, by the way. And I don't got time to go into that. I, I want to do a series on the triune nature of God, but not at this time, but it's fascinating in every way. Suffice it to say, we have the masculine and feminine aspects of God in this creation event. Man and woman, who we are, reflects 
that revelation, that mystery. Verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, Adam and Eve together can and should create, activate, and then govern. This is the mandate given to us by our creator. A husband is to give his creative power to his wife who receives it and activates it. God creates and the spirit activates. The masculine creates, the feminine activates. We see that, right? God creates and then the spirit of God hovers above the creation and through vibration, right? Activates and brings about life in that creative event. Create, activate, govern. So a husband gives his creative power to his wife who receives it and activates it. Now let's talk biology. This, 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 <clears throat> this is amazing because they just discovered this, I think, like 10 years ago. So this is a recent, recent dis discovery. At the very, very nanosecond where, where conception takes place, where the sperm actually penetrates the membrane of the egg, at that instant, which we call conception, there's a burst of light they, 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 they photograph it. They, they, can, they videotape it, photograph it. You can look it up on the internet and watch it and see it. But this, this burst of light takes place at that event. It's amazing when you think about it. You know, women have this incredible ability to actually activate life. We don't understand how that works. We just know it does work. That's what happens. Activation. A sacred human life begins. Let's talk about the sacred and powerful dominion of the home. The world attacks the, uh, these ideas every day, day in and day out, undermining the truths of God. The world will always rally and undermine the truths of God. They're counterculture. The more we embrace them, the more out of sync we are with the world we're living in. But we're called to be different, holy unto him. So let's visit these texts and look into them. Titus chapter 2. The instruction given to older women. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to too much wine. Teaching what is good. Primary task of the older women, to teach, to be teachers, teachers of what is good. Now, this is really insightful when you think about it, because one of the primary roles and tasks of the feminine mothering aspect of God is, in fact, teaching. The Holy Spirit is the teacher, right? When you look at the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is, is given to teach us, to instruct us, to reveal and to impart wisdom to us. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's feminine. Keep that in mind. We're going to get down to that and get into that a little bit more. But suffice it to say, this feminine aspect of God is a teacher par excellence. Mothers are consummate teachers. Think about that for a moment. From the beginning of our existence, our mothers have taught us. They carried us for nine months in their wombs. They give birth to us, and they begin to nurture us and teach us day in, day out. As we grow, we're being shaped and formed by our mothers. They are the most incredible teachers given to us. They teach. It's just natural for them to impart wisdom and knowledge. They do that gracefully and naturally because they carry within their constitution the feminine attributes of God. This is why they are teachers, just like the Holy Spirit is. This is why they are teachers par excellence. goes on to say, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Because the world always wants to flip that upside down. The, wo- the world wants to uh, really kind of get women to rally against their husbands, to undermine their relationship with their husbands, to break away from their husbands, to actually view their children as a burden rather than a blessing. So it says here, encourage the younger women. Encourage them to love their husbands. Redirect them to their husbands. Redirect them to their children. This is who they are. This is what they're called to be and to do as a wife in a marriage. See, the fall into sin, it changed us. It corrupted our beings, our God-given desires for God's purposes in our lives. So we need encouragement to sustain us in our return to God, to that which is good, to his design in marriage. Titus 2.5, be sensible, pure, workers at home, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. See, when you say, I'm a worker at home, women, wives, when you say, I'm a home manager. What does the world do in response to that? They demean you. They belittle you. They make you feel like you're just worthless. Why? Because that's the enemy's camp. He knows if he can break up the home, if he can redirect husbands and wives away from each other, then he's going to win the battle. This whole idea of finding out who we are in marriage as husbands and wives is everything to overcoming and advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Primary task, wives. Be a worker at home. Be kind. Be subjected to your own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. I want to talk about workers at home. I want to exalt that. I want to bring beauty to that. This is something we need to kind of capture and run with once again and champion once again. We see this in the ideal wife. She's ideal. So, so no, no wife actually measures up to her. But it's what you want to reach for. Just like men, we have our role models that are ideal that we don't really compare with, but we're called to what? Reach for that. 
to grow into that. So this is the ideal wife, Proverbs chapter 31.10. I want you to listen in your hearing what it means to be a wife and a mother. An excellent wife who can find she is more precious than jewels. I want to say this on behalf of husbands. Our wives are everything. What we have found in our wives is something that money cannot buy. A good wife, a godly wife is everything to her family, to her husband, to her community. It's everything. We say to the mothers here, we say to the wives here, well done. You are the backbone of our community. This is what God's called you to be. An excellent wife, yes. Applaud our wives and our women, yes. Our mothers. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She brings her food from a, my wife. One of her giftings is ideation. Okay, so she, she likes to create out of nothing. That's, that's, she comes up with new ideas all the time. Now, the beauty of that is dinner time. Because she's always doing these amazing dishes. And, and it's all like, it's not written down. It's not wrote. It's not line upon line. It's... It's a little taste here, a little taste there. Let's mix some more stuff. And then how'd you do that? I don't know. But it was really good, right? It was really good. She brings her food from afar. We were eating our, our Rev Shabbat last night. Had a little gathering. And uh, oh, man, we're eating like the best, most nutritious, most authentic Vietnamese egg rolls. Not the ones you fry. Not very healthy, but very good. Spring rolls, spring rolls, yeah. The sauces, the ingredients, everything, fresh basil, fresh mint. I mean, I'm just thinking, man, this food's come from afar. It's like it came from Vietnam. You know, it's just like so good. How does she do that, you know? But this is part of who she is. And every wife has her own gifting, her own talents that she brings into that marriage, into that relationship, into that home that makes that something worthwhile. She bring, brings her food from afar. She considers, oh, I'm sorry. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. She considers a field and buys it. She, what is she? She's a business lady. She, inve she invests in their future, right? With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. My mom's 88. She has a walker, right? My mom's a... I love my mom. She's, she's like... I mean, who doesn't love their mother, right? Oh my gosh, she's like 88, 89 on a walker. I have to go over. I'm helping her all the time. So we went over there yesterday to help her and she has this pretty big table. I mean, it's an average size kitchen table, right? And uh, so we're going to have lunch with her. So uh, she kind of gets her walker. She walks over there. She sets her walker aside. She kind of goes over, you know, to, to the table. I thought, mom, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
She reaches that thing. She just yanks it like it moves like a half a foot. She moves back, yanks it again. Before I could even get over there, she'd already pulled the table out to the center of the room. I thought, unbelievable. She's like the bionic woman. Who would have known? You know, I'm thinking, Mom, get your walker. I'll take care of the table, you know. She makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. (sighs) Jessica, she's not here today, but when Jessica was a young girl, early teens, maybe even younger, 10, 11, 12, uh, she says, Dad, I'm going to make seats and sell them to our people. You know, a little business mind going on. I said, Dad, you ought to do that. She goes, well, help me out. I said, well, let's go get you some strings. We went and bought a bunch of, uh, you know, the appropriate strings. Um, we did men, bold colors, you know, blues and blacks and whites. We did pastel and a little thinner for the women. And then she made like a whole bunch of different colors for the women and for the men. And then she's selling them and she's making a good profit at 10, 11, 12 years, 12 years old, you know. Those Eatsies are worth about, I don't know, like $2 a piece and she's selling them for 20 I thought, what a little business model. That's good. You're doing good for your age. But the whole idea is, is that, you know, part of what we're called to do, both men and women, is to use our creativity and to make profit off that. It's called capitalism. That's Torah. Nothing wrong with making money off that which you produce. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, her hands to the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known. Let me me just go back. Her, Her clothing is fine linen and purple. That's code for she likes buying stuff. Men, you know what we're talking about, right? I mean, oh my gosh. You know, my closet, her closet, you know, my clothes, her clothes. But I'm glad. Who doesn't want a woman that looks great, right? You want your woman to look her best, and they know how to do that. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She has no fear. She has faith in God, right? She opens her mouth with with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. We as a community need to continue to exalt our wives, our mothers, our women, to honor them, to just clothe them in in dignity, and to speak highly of them, to give them what they're worth, their dignity, their happiness.
This is important. Let's talk about the feminine nature of God. We talked about this earlier. I want to get a little bit more in, into it uh, here. This whole aspect of, of men relating to the Father and all the texts about the Father. But what do our daughters do? How, how do they relate to God? You know, do they do that through this whole idea of masculinity? And how confusing is that for them? Yeah, I really believe that God has in his spirit the revelation of his feminine attributes. And it's the Holy Spirit that our daughters need to really connect with and relate to and understand because the feminine attributes of God are tied into the Holy Spirit. And that image of God is what is resident in our women, in our girls. So one of the earliest churches is the Syriac Church of Antioch. The first church was in Jerusalem. The very next church that emerges on the scene after about a year's worth of missionary activity is in Antioch, the Syriac Church. Let me read this, Acts 11, 26 and 27, or 25 and 26. And he, Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul had been converted, but no one's accepting Saul because that, he was running around killing people a little while earlier, right? So he goes and he picks up Saul. He's looking for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for the entire year, for the entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This is the first church outside of Jerusalem. Their language, Syriac. It's a dialect of the Aramaic, which is a dialect of Hebrew. So it's well connected in thought with the Hebrew culture. Their Bible was written in Syriac. Their theology is heavily influenced by the Aramaic and Hebrew language and culture of the first century. The Syriac Orthodox Church believes that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Spirit of Truth, proceeding from the Father. The Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. This doesn't depart in any way from, from you know, traditional Christianity, by the way, until we get down here. They go on to say, Note, the word for spirit in Syriac is ruhol, ruach. It's a dialect of the Aramaic and the Hebrew, which is also the word for wind and is grammatically feminine. So in the Syriac Bible, where you have the word spirit related to the Holy Spirit, it's feminine in gender. Holy Spirit is referred to with the feminine pronoun, she, her, in almost all early Syriac writings. Let me give you an example of the Syriac theology that is found in the apocryphal uh, book of Thomas, the Acts of Thomas. Now, it's usually assumed that this particular work was influenced by speculative Gnostic Judaism, because it contains the notion that associated with God was a wisdom or creative power, a spirit which was feminine. So in this invocation 
accompanying baptism, we have these words. So when they baptized their converts in this first early church, they would have liturgy that they would pronounce in their ceremony for baptism. Here's part of it. It's beautiful. Come, holy name of Christ that is above every name. Come, power of the Most High and perfect compassion. Come, thou highest gift. Come, compassionate mother. Come, fellowship of the male. Come, thou, that thou are reference to the spirit, which is feminine. Come, thou, that dost reveal the hidden mysteries. Come, mother of seven houses, that they may, that they, that thy might, excuse me, that thy rest may be in the eighth house. Wow. They were being consistent what was already revealed in the Hebrew scriptures when it comes to this whole idea of the Spirit of God being feminine. That's further developed in the Acts of Thomas as well. Suffice it to say, the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Syriac generally assign the feminine gender grammatically to the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Syriac term for spirit, ruach or ruho. So when you go to the Hebrew text, the Spirit of God, generally speaking, is always assigned the gender of femininity. When you go to the Aramaic, same thing. When you go to the Syriac, same thing. When you go to the Greek, everything is lost. Because the Greek does not assign gender to the word spirit. So that's where we kind of lose this whole battle. And what do the translators do? The translators assign the personal pronouns. And they assign them masculine. Why? Why? Why do they assign it masculine? If the Hebrew that the New Testament scriptures are based on and flow from, right? The whole entire apostolic scripture is written by Jews. So why do they part from what is already a precedent when it comes to the Spirit of God being feminine? Because they're working with the Greek text. They've got to assign something. And they're all men living in a highly patriarchal society. So I think that's why they did that. They called the shot and they did that. And I think that obscured for us a very important part of who God is in terms of his feminine attributes. So, if the Holy Spirit is feminine in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Syriac, and generally speaking, that's true. The Holy Spirit is the feminine or mothering person of the triune nature of God. Then how would we, how would we say that when we speak of the Trinity? One essence, three persons. One essence, three persons. This is how we say it traditionally. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how we say it. But based on the gender that we have throughout the texts, shouldn't it be father, son, and mother? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that in harmony with what we find in the scriptures? I mean, it's just a mind-blowing thing. Why do we get so upset about that, by the way? Why are we so challenged by that? You know? I mean, if the, if the Holy Spirit is, is, is if, if the gender assignment of the Holy Spirit is male, then you have two men and a baby. I think that's kind of weird. I, you know, don't you think? You know, the holy family, the holy heavenly family, two men and a baby. 
I don't know. It works today, I guess, but it shouldn't. It doesn't work biblically. It might work culturally, but not biblically. All right. So, Genesis 3 and verse 20. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Eve. Eve. Made in the image of the Holy Spirit, the feminine attributes of God in her constitution is the activator, the life giver. She's the one that activates life, just like we saw in those earlier Genesis texts. This is why she is given this high, high status of the one that gives life to everyone. So Eve now represents the image of God in its feminine and mothering attributes. Then we have Proverbs 8, Proverbs chapter 8, where wisdom is personified. Wisdom is personified. Here's the big question. Who is this wisdom that we find in Proverbs chapter 8 that co-created with God? This wisdom that's in the beginning with God and co-creates with God, right? Well, the church has said for 2,000 years, it's Jesus. It's a big problem. If it's Jesus, we have a big problem. Wisdom, by the way, in the Hebrew uh, text is also feminine. The gender assignment for wisdom is feminine. Now listen to the first three verses of Proverbs 8, and you'll understand why it just doesn't work if it's Jesus. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand? Beside the gates at the opening of the city at the entrance of the door, she cries out? That's confusing if that's supposed to be Jesus, obviously. This, I believe, is Lady Wisdom. Again, the feminine aspect of God in creation, along with the masculine aspect of God, joined together in creation, creating us in their image and likeness, male and female. So let's take a closer look at the biblical role assignment of a woman in a biblical marriage. Keep in mind that Eve was made for Adam, Genesis 3.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. He made Adam first. There was enough work for Adam to do over a period of time that it became evident that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He wasn't going to get the job done. I don't want to say he was incompetent. It wasn't that bad. But he had so much to do that he just couldn't do it on his own. And God says, you need a helper. And so he made, he made Eve. She's a helpmate. Eve was made to help Adam. Not to rule over him, not to govern him, but to actually submit to him and help him do what God had given him to do. They were both the same in essence. Both fully human. Both had the status of image of God. Both corresponding to one another. But they were different in sex and gender and role assignments. In a marriage, a wife's responsibilities are to help her Adam. Help him in his calling to create and to govern with him together. 1 Corinthians eleven seven: 7. The woman is the glory of a man. 
For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. This is the design of God. This is what the world wants to flip and change, to obscure and pervert. First Corinthians 11.3 But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. We're all called to be in authority and under authority. All of us. Oh, women, they have to submit. So do men. So does Jesus. Everyone's submitted to someone and everyone's leading someone. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word. This is not the time to be in your teaching mode. There's a time to teach and a time to be quiet. I know that sounds offensive. Please don't misunderstand me. Wives, do you like it when your husband raises their voice and yells at you? No, and men, you should not do that. No one likes that. The focus here is on, on wives. I've already addressed the men, but it goes on to say, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Wives, I'll tell you what, your behavior is going to do more to influence your husband than your ability to correct him promise you that that doesn't work in the male psyche you know uh, psyche creates all kinds of problems men are from mars women are from venus we think different it 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 jacks us believe me okay so gonna be won by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior Men want to be respected. We want to be honored. We are kings of our homes, right? We, want, we don't want love. Don't be my mother, although sometimes I need that. But I want to be honored. I'm a king. You know, respect me, woman. That's what, that's what men want. And you'll find your way right into their hearts when you honor and respect them, even in your differences, even in your disputes, even in your disagreements. Do that in a way that's respectful. This is what a woman's called to do. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit. A gentle and a quiet spirit. And of course that's for men too. Of course men are supposed to be gentle. Of course, men shouldn't be raising their voice with their wives. Absolutely. But you too. You too, woman. Right? Both of us, male and female, husbands and wives, need to learn this aspect of being gentle and quiet in our spirits rather than just yelling and accusing and inflaming and escalating in our disagreements. 1 Peter 3, 5, for this, in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. 1 Peter 3.6. You know, submission is not a sign of weakness. 
Everyone's got to submit to someone, right? Remember the Bob Dylan song? Everyone's got to what? Serve somebody. It's either going to be the Lord or it's going to be the devil, right? We're all, we're all called to serve. We're all called to submit. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength. Jesus submits to his Father. That's a sign of strength, not weakness. A man submits to Christ. That's not a sign of weakness. That a man would submit to another man, a wife to her husband, that's not a sign of weakness. This is the design of God. There's something beautiful in that, by the way. 1 Peter 3.6, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Wives, do what is right. Sometimes doing what is right is going to put you in conflict with your husband. Just remember that in that conflict, show respect. Stay the course. Do what's right. Don't fear anything. Let Sarah be your role model. She submitted to Abraham. She loved him. She honored him. And she called him out at times when he was off track in terms of what God had called him to do and to be. This is the beauty of Sarah. This is the role model. Now, there are some truths that are self-evident, okay? There are some truths that don't need to be stated except because of the times we're living in. So here we go. Only women can create human life in their wombs. I'm going to be called out on that. I promise. But I want to state this. This is what the Bible says. It's clear. And I believe it's true. Only women can create human life in their wombs. It is the design of God. It's a gift of God. This is glorious and miraculous in every way. Nine months, she carries that child in her womb. The birth is beautiful and full of wonder and yet fraught with pain and danger. I got talked in to go and see, see my first daughter's birth. I got talked into that. We're doing the natural approach. No painkillers. You know, that was a man's idea. I promise she, we got that turned around next time around, you know. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so we're in there. I'm going I'm to watch her give birth to our daughter. And I'm in there, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I am shocked. I'm appalled. I'm scared. It's like, get, I'm looking for the exit, you know. I'm thinking, man, I'm about ready to pass out. The courage that I saw, the fearlessness in this woman who in great danger gives birth, and the miracle and wonder of that, so inspiring, right? I left the hospital that day and I had an appreciation and value for Dawn that just skyrocketed. Only a woman can do that. Men cannot do that. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. Every mother deserves honor and praise without exception. Now the fall and its curse further is revealed are you know what? I'm done. I've got two minutes left, and I'll pick this up next week. I'm going to go next week. We'll pick this up. But does anyone have a burning question that I can maybe address before I close? I was going to do more of a question and answer time, but I'm out of time. We'll do that next week. But do you have one for now? Based on the material I've already presented, do you have a question? Anyone? Feminine aspect of God. I know that's like... Whew. Okay, someone? Okay. Who has a question? Okay. Minister Don, would you take that to the middle section? And we'll do one question. I got one minute left, so 
Make your question short and sweet, and I'll try to answer it. With what you is this on? Yeah. With what you said today, <clears throat> and what we're dealing with with the Supreme Court and the reversal of Roe versus Wade, if the Holy Spirit is feminine, the women in this nation need to understand to love the babies instead of destroying them. And it's the women, not the Supreme Court. It's not all the people that are wanting to change the laws. It's the heart of the women by the Holy Spirit of God to want to, to be who they were meant to be instead of 62 abortions, 62 yep. million abortions. Yeah, I think part of the problem, you're exactly right, I think part of the problem has been that we have skewered the feminine aspect of God for 2,000 years. Yep. You know, that's just been obscured and, and misunderstood. But I think when we begin to give this balanced picture of the masculinity and femininity of the God who made us in his image, and then we see the, how exalted that feminine side is along with the masculine side. That brings tremendous worth and dignity to women. When you begin to tell women, look, you're the life givers. You're the activators. You're the ones that bring life to every human being and, and make that pl a place of honor and respect and glory. We'll begin to turn that around. Women, be they'll take a different view of who, who, of who they are. I think that's part of the answer. So that's exactly right. All right, great. Uh, real quick. Before I close, I saw the second birth too. No, I, smart, I was smarter. So the second birth, 15 years later, they're trying to get me in the room. I'm, I'm like, I'm not going. I did that 15 years ago. I, I am not going, you know. But I did. I was in there before the baby was born, and then I got out once the baby was coming, you know, out. I don't know how to say that, okay? <laughs> she was having problems, so they decided to do different birthing positions, I did not know how many birthing positions there are. Man, but I got to, I got to more of the, I'm not sure which, where this came from, what, what culture, but they got to the one where they held her arms up and she's like this on top of the bed and the nurses around and stuff. And I said, I am out of here, man. I am out of here. I cannot, I cannot watch anymore. It's like, it was like a submission hold. It's like, I'm tapping out, man. Get me out. But again, second time around, Second time around, my respect, love, and honor for Dawn as a mother, as a wife, again, shut straight up again. So men, love your wives. Love them and honor them. And wives, find your great joy in your head, in your co-creator who loves you. Submit and follow his lead. And we'll strengthen our marriages like never before. Shabbat shalom.